Good morning, Generations Church. I am Rick Cook, and I am glad to be here this morning. I need to apologize a little bit. I broke my glasses just yesterday, and I haven't had a chance to get them repaired, and so I have my prescription goggles on. I hope that won't bother anybody today. Okay, I'm only kidding. I didn't break my glasses, but I am thinking about telling you all a swimming story. So I got out my swimming goggles. I recall uh, a lot of you know that uh, in uh, high school I was on the swim team, and one of the worst parts about being on the high school swim team is the morning practices. Uh, I don't know, maybe you don't know how hard it is to go to morning practice because so many of you are from Southern California, but in the winter in Chicago to get up at 5 or 5.30 a.m. and then to go outside and get into the carpool car. One of my buddy's friends or my parents would drive and we'd pack in five or six six of us high school boys and we would just squeeze into the car and we would drive off to the high school arriving before sunrise, 6 a.m. We'd get there usually a few minutes before the coach would arrive. And I recall we'd, uh, the, the front door of the uh, natatorium of the swimming pool would be unlocked so we could get into the pool lobby but we couldn't get into the locker room and so we would all lie down on the floor in the in the lobby of the pool and we'd wait and when the coach would arrive we'd oh okay this is it and he'd come he'd unlock the locker room door we'd go into the locker room we'd put on our swimming suits and we would go from the locker room into the pool area and there is where we would come to the most difficult part of morning swimming practice and that is just uh Several minutes after being in our warm bed, we would have to jump into the frigid, cold water of the swimming pool. And it was so hard to go from warm and comfortable and into the cold water. I recall our coaches came up with a strategy to get us or to try to get us to go into the water. And so what they would do is they had a competition and every morning each of us would have the opportunity to try to uh, slingshot, to slingshot our goggles out over the pool and if we could land our goggles so that they would dangle from the backstroke line or rope that hangs above the pool if we could it's about seven yards out and if we could fling our goggles out and land it it was almost impossible to hit the rope and I think it was nearly impossible to get them to actually land but if Anybody ever got their goggles to land on that rope and to stay there, they got to sit out practice. So every morning we would try. One time, four years of high school, I think one time only do I remember someone actually getting their goggles. And I imagine that most people, even if they get their goggles up, they're going to practice anyway. We're already there. Uh, But I remember we had one guy on our swim team. His name was uh, Lee. Actually, we called him Potsy. If you don't know the reference, it's uh, probably just 
somebody who's boneheaded or they don't. He was a smart guy, but he did boneheaded things all the time. I remember Potsy. He got, he was the first one that got his goggles to actually dangle from the backstroke flags. And he sat down on the bench. He said, I'm allowed not to practice today. That's the deal. He sat down on the bench and wouldn't you know it, Potsy, probably the only one who would have done this. He sat on the bench with his goggles hanging from the backstroke flags for the entire morning practice that day. It is so hard, but every morning we would eventually get into the pool. One morning I arrived. I don't know why I was late, but I arrived a few minutes late, and all the other guys on the swim team were already in the water. And when I walked in, I felt like it was far more humid and hot in the uh, pool area than normal. And I looked at the swim team. The swim team usually would be doing their warm-up laps up and down, but all of them were either, there were people, they were hanging on the wall in the gutter, kind of kicking their legs lightly. Uh, A few of the guys were swimming kind of elementary backstroke on their back. One guy had a, uh, was squirting a a fountain out of his mouth, and everyone was just lounging. And someone (laughs) saw me come in and said, hey, come on in, join the, the, the lounge in the sauna. And I felt the water, and somehow the water had been overheated to about 100 degrees, like a hot tub and you would think right now you would think that would be the dream come true because the hardest thing is to getting into the cold water but the hot water felt so nice but what was the problem the hot water doesn't work for practice. We were there to work out, and once you hit that hot water, all your energy was drained, and all we could do that morning was to sit and to lounge. The point is, (laughs) what seemed like it might be ideal might not be ideal. Actually, cold water, well, not too cold or not too hot. There is a perfect temperature for training for swimming. That's the point, and we want to find that. We're going to be talking this morning from the book of Mark on Jesus' authority, and we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 3. Let me remind you, if you haven't looked at these videos of uh, Max McLean, let me remind you to to look at those. Uh, But this morning we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 3, and we'll be talking about the law, the law of the Sabbath. And the point is there's a Sabbath that is put into place by God, and it's for a purpose. It is to help human beings thrive. We don't want laws that are too hot. We don't want laws that are too cold. We don't want laws that are too difficult. We don't want laws that are too easy, like the hot water that feels so good at first, but actually we can't thrive in it. What we find in the law of God, what we find in our relationship with God, is he gives us the perfect balance for what? For comfort? No. The perfect balance for human thriving. Now, we're going to be looking at the law of the Sabbath. We'll be looking at the Sabbath, but what we're going to find is that Jesus says he is the Lord of 
of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of those laws. His authority, his authority is greater than those perfect laws created by God. We want to read our scripture as we prepare to do that. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, speak to us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We are reading Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus, the reading of the word of God. We will look today at uh, three points. We will first discuss the Sabbath. What is the point of the Sabbath? And then we will look at this story, which focuses on the Sabbath. And at the end of the sermon, I want to look at the surprise, because actually what we find is that this passage is not about the Sabbath, but something far more profound. It is about Jesus, and we will come to that at the end. The Sabbath. If we go back in our series, we're on part, uh, the last part of our series on the authority of Jesus, and what we have been doing is we've been following five quick stories in succession, immediately, 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 and in the story before the one we're looking at today, in the story that finished in Mark 2, 27, 28, that's the last two verses of Mark chapter 2, what we saw is that Jesus had already said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath, so the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath, and right after this story, we go to the story we just read. And it is again on the Sabbath. And so what is this Sabbath? That's what I wanted to start this morning, to take a few minutes and focus on the Sabbath. A Sabbath is about the rhythm of life. It is taking a moment a day, a season to relax and to reflect. And it is built into the law of God. Let's look at the Ten Commandments. And as we look at the Ten Commandments, we see that the Sabbath is built 
part and parcel into the very foundations of the law that God gives to Moses. So they have been freed from Egypt after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and Moses is leading them through the wilderness, and then God establishes his covenant, establishes the rules that they are to follow. And one of the key pieces of the law, of course, is the Ten Commandments. Let's look at this commandment on the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It is to be the seventh day. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Recall that when Adam and Eve are created, they are to be co-workers with God, co-creators. So God created, but then Adam and Eve, human beings, are to continue to create, are continue to work. But when God worked, when God created, he took a Sabbath. He rested on the seventh day. And that is what Israel is to do. They are to work. They are to be active. They are to be busy. They're not to be lazy. There's a balance. Not too hot, not too cold. There's a balance. There's work and there's Sabbath. Rhythm of life. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It is the time for Israel to rest. And it is part and parcel of creation. It is built into the very bedrock of creation. So let us remember that the Sabbath rooted in creation in Genesis 2, by the seventh day after God has created the earth, the waters, the heaven, the heavens, the animals, Adam and Eve, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. That's what God did. And that is part of creation so that when we take Sabbath, when we take a regular period of rest, that's how we will thrive. That's the only way that we will thrive. And here we see in Isaiah 58 that it is a source of immense joy. Let's look at a couple uh, pieces of these verses. Isaiah 58. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, if you call the Sabbath a delight, if you practice, if you do it, if you delight in it, then what? Then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I pray, brothers and sisters, Generations Church, I pray that you are taking periods of rest and finding delight, finding your joy in the Lord. We can find our joy in work 
and we want to do that. But today, I'm stressing finding our delight in Sabbath. There's one verse that maybe you haven't noticed before. I think this is a, a, an amazing point. We are to delight. We are to find joy in the Sabbath. What about God? When God took Sabbath, when God rested on the seventh day, what does it say? Exodus 31:17. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That is the rhythm that is rooted in creation, that we are to rest. Now recall that Jesus has said at the end of Mark chapter 2, Jesus has said, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He claims that the Sabbath was created for him. He created the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that has the Pharisees fit to be tied because they have made themselves, we said last time, they have made themselves what we could say are lords of the Sabbath. They have created laws, they've created regulations, and Jesus said, no, none of that. He said he is, in fact, the Lord of the Sabbath, and he wants to demonstrate his authority over the Sabbath. That's the point of these first three chapters in the book of Mark, that Jesus is establishing his authority. So what happens right after Mark talks about the the story where Jesus has declared himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Then in the next verse, chapter 3, verse 1, we come to our story. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. So he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and the atmosphere was probably charged. If this is the same day as the story in chapter 2, which it may be, if it's the same day, it's the same Pharisees, it's the same people, and they've followed him in, and they're continuing to watch, and they're continuing to say, who is this guy who says these things, who heals and works on the Sabbath? So that's the atmosphere. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So Jesus is being watched. We find that people who are curious about us, they pay close attention. And so people are curious about Jesus. So actually, this is a tremendous opportunity for Jesus to speak. If we're living a holy life in our workplace, and if people are observing us, wondering what will, he, what will this person do in that situation, what will, that, what will he do when this happens? If people are watching us carefully, ah, will he be a hypocrite? Ah, will he, how will he handle this situation? If people are watching us, And I hope they are. I hope people know that we're Christians and we're following Jesus and we're doing our best to live a separated, 
holy life. And when people are watching us, they're curious. And curious people pay attention. What a wonderful opportunity to share our faith. So let us be consistent in our witness. So these are some people who are curious, and so they are watching carefully. They want to see what Jesus will do, and they want to challenge him. In fact, these Pharisees, they want to trap Jesus. And sadly, they don't see a man who is in tremendous need because of his shriveled hand. They see an opportunity to entrap Jesus. It's quite uh, quite sad. But what will Jesus do? It is the Sabbath, and He's not supposed to work. That's the law. The Sabbath uh, is a serious thing for the Jews. We just talked about the Sabbath was created by God for the Jews, put into the law, in the Ten Commandments. It is a key thing. It is rooted in creation. So Sabbath is clearly something that Jesus would care about. So now, what will Jesus do? Will he work on the Sabbath? Now, there is an exception that is clear from the Bible. And that is this. If there is a life or death situation, then the healer, the doctor, or the miracle worker, whatever it is, then the person, the healer, can work. Because that's an exception, because it's life or death. This is a little more tricky, because the shriveled hand is not life or death. It's a question of compassion for the person. So what will Jesus do? Uh, In the law, presumably, uh, the man with the shriveled hand can wait a day. Jesus can wait a day, and then he can heal the man on the next day. So that's the tension That's being built up. This isn't a life or death situation. These Pharisees have claimed that more or less they are the Lord of the Sabbath. And now Jesus is confronted with this situation. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely closely to see if he would break the Sabbath by performing a healing Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody. This is going to be public. He's not trying to do this quietly. He's not trying to see if everyone will ignore him or miss what's going on. No, he has the man come and stand in the middle of everyone. Come stand up in front of everyone. Then he asked the man, or he asked them, which is lawful? On the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, this is an easy question. Obviously, the answer is you should do good. Obviously, the answer is you should save life. So you see, he's given these Pharisees a bit of a conundrum because are they going to answer good and life or are they going to answer evil and kill. So they remained silent. They're not concerned with that question, are they? They don't care about, it doesn't seem, they don't care about good 
or saving life. They don't care about evil or killing. They don't even want to address that. Why do they remain silent? Actually, there is an answer. They can say, hey, look, Jesus, just don't heal today. You can show compassion tomorrow. Wait till tomorrow and heal the man tomorrow. But they're not even concerned about that. Stunning. They just remain silent. Facing the man with the shriveled hand, they remain silent. Why? All they care about is entrapping Jesus. We see their heart. So verse 5 then says, He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed. So we see two things of Jesus. One is his anger, this righteous anger. And the other then is his compassion. Because he's distressed. He has compassion for people that are blind, that their eyes are so blind that they simply cannot see. So he's distressed at their stubborn hearts. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And as He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. It is a profound act of power demonstrating Jesus' authority, showing his compassion. And the Pharisees are furious. They can't take it. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians. Now these Herodians, these guys don't get along very much with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are concerned about religious things. Herodians, they're concerned about their loyalty to Herod, the political ruler. So these are political people. But why did the Pharisees want to ally themselves in this case with the Herodians? It's because the Pharisees don't have the political legal authority to commit an execution. And that's what they want. So they are here now planning to destroy, execute, to kill Jesus. They can't stand it. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This ends our section from Mark 1 through chapter 3. It ends our series of sermons on the authority of Jesus, story after story, he has provided teaching with authority. He doesn't teach like Dr. So-and-so, Professor So-and-so said this, that one said that. No, he says, this is what I say. And he's healed with authority. He doesn't say, I heal in the name of so-and-so. He doesn't use hocus-pocus. He doesn't use potions. He doesn't use incantations. No, he heals by his own authority, and it happens immediately. He speaks in his own authority, and the diseases listen. Nature listens. He is demonstrating his authority. So what is the surprise we see at the end of the story? Did Jesus actually give us, or Mark, did Mark give us this story because Jesus in this story wanted to 
trick the Pharisees. He wanted to give them this conundrum. Was that the primary purpose that he's so upset at the Pharisees? I don't think so. I think the key is something else. He's trying to show, to demonstrate, to reveal something far more profound. It's not about the Sabbath. It's not even about the law. It's not even about the rhythms of life. What he is saying is that all of those things, the Pharisees, the law, the rhythms of life that are rooted in creation, Sabbath itself, Jesus is greater still. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that God who has all authority on heaven and earth, all authority to bring judgment, all authority to bring healing, all authority has tremendous compassion. And he heals the man with the withered hand. The surprise we see is who is this Jesus? He is a man with tremendous compassion. He cares. We finish our series then. We said at the beginning that Jesus is the man from Nazareth, little sleepy town, kind of like no name Colorado. No name. This guy from no name, he needed to demonstrate who he was. Somebody from no name, nobody from no name has to demonstrate who they are. And he has shown with tremendous authority who he is. He is a person with authority. He is the Lord. He has established that. And now he is going to show his compassion. The man who healed Jesus, the man who healed the man with the withered hand, has the compassion to have his own hands nailed to a cross. His hands will be pierced for us. That is the amount of compassion that Jesus has. So in this lesson, we have seen Jesus as he establishes his authority. But as we come to an end, we also have this emphasis on the compassion of Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he shows compassion on the Sabbath to emphasize that that is what he is about. That is why he has come. He has come to die for his people. We will turn next to our communion. As we prepare for communion, we come before the cross. We come before the reality that Jesus Christ died on our behalf. So let me ask you, let me invite you to prepare, to begin to prepare for the communion. We will take that in just a moment. And let me, as we finish our message this morning and as we prepare to transition into communion, let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you 
that you are God. You are the Word become flesh. That you are the Lord. You are the Lord of all things, even the Sabbath. Lord, this morning I pray for our church, for our people, that we would take Sabbath, that we would take seasons of rest, that we would work and we would rest. And when we rest, I pray that we would rejoice in the Lord. And more than that, Lord, I pray this morning that we would see afresh who is Jesus. He is the Lord of that Sabbath. And that Lord, with all authority, died on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.